It's almost as if all of humanity is running on two time tracks all the time. One we're consciously aware of and one we're unconsciously aware of. Immediacy and access to technology that has immediacy actually makes things go very fast. <laughs> you feel like life is going away from you very, very fast. How you categorize your life defines your life. It's when you're living super fast like that, you treat other things differently. You treat other people differently. You have a sense of entitlement when time is not on your side that you don't have when time is on your side. Like it doesn't matter what you get paid to do, you only have one job, you have to die. Like everything else you do in life, it's optional. But the moment you're born, you have to die. And the difference between a good death and a bad death is how you treat the last moments of life. And how you treat the last moments of life are the work you do every day when you think you're living. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Chris Dancy. Chris is an author, a speaker, a technologist, a biohacker, and human optimization enthusiast. He's known as the most connected man on Earth because of his thorough self-quantifying experiments that involve tracking daily activities, measuring health biomarkers, and even biohacking time. My name is Chris Dancy. I'm a health and well-being professional, and I've been called the world's most connected human. Chris, I'm glad that you could make it to the show, and uh, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, and I think like everyone who is listening, they would like to know, how did you become the most connected man on earth? And what does it actually mean? It's good Google uh, indexing, I think. But uh, it started in 2012. I did a TV interview uh, here in San Francisco, and they called me the world's most surveilled person. And then about... A year later, I did an interview for the BBC in England, and they changed the word surveilled to connected. And then as soon as news organizations started writing stories, it kind of morphed into the world's most connected man, and it was the uh, most connected man. And, and today, you could just Google most connected, just those two words, and it comes right up. So I'm really hoping that sometime in the next year, I could just Google most. <laughs> that would be like, yeah, quite... Uh good exposure or good publicity in the sense yeah yeah. Uh, good search optimization for my life for sure for sure like uh, and definitely we're going to talk about all this stuff that you've been involved with but can you tell us like maybe what what are some of the gadgets or or tracking that you're doing right now as we're speaking yeah yeah so it started out it's easier to explain what i'm doing now if you understand it through the lens of how it happened and and what it and how it came to be So this is year 10 of of me doing this. Um, And in the beginning, it it really started out that I was just tracking my online behavioral information. So basically my digital doppelganger. So anything that I did that involved using a piece of technology. So it's, it's most aligned in the early days of if you could see your browsing cookies or your web history um, and then tie that to some type of behavioral information. So um, uh, it, it wasn't as real time as it could have been in certain areas of my life. So by the second year, so by 2010, the online stuff had morphed into more 
uh, real time. So even though I was doing things like sending email or uh, posting on social media, I was then posting logging when I ate on a website called, ooh, I don't know what it was called, food something or another. It was one of these real old, old, old websites. But that was sometimes hard to get to a browser because there weren't real, there weren't a lot of iPhone apps in 2010. There, there was still a new uh, field, nascent in a lot of ways. Um, but slowly I brought on 10 areas in my life that were important for me to track. And the biggest thing in the beginning outside of the digital behavioral information was understanding my life through this lens of what is a life? Like, what is it that you do? I mean, today traditional biohacking really um, understands this in a much more nuanced way um, from everything from hacking sleep to uh, hacking diet to hacking activity and behavior. But for me, I need to look at my entire life because I had so many bad habits that were interlinked. So uh, the 10 areas of my life at the beginning were social media, um, entertainment, and social media was anything I did online that involved someone else consuming something I created. That could be Facebook, that could be Twitter, that could be Instagram. It didn't really matter. MySpace in the beginning, literally MySpace. Um, after social media, it was entertainment. So anytime I streamed any music or television or watched any videos, so that was things, you know, everything from YouTube to um, Spotify back in the day. Then a third area was opinion. So anytime I left feedback for a system, so that could be a restaurant review or that could be a services review, but there are a lot of systems that ask us for our feedback and our everyday lives online. And there's a lot of under, I'd say almost digital subconscious information that comes from how you answer those feedbacks and when you take the time to do it. Um, outside of that, then I got into systems that were involved with work. So sending emails, getting emails, um, creating documents, not creating documents. Um, and then after work, there was content creation. So if I built a PowerPoint presentation or I wrote a blog post, anything that I would put online where I would be the author and creator and be consumed by other people. So content is a, a level up from, uh, just like everyday social media because like you took effort and it's measured and the metrics are different. Um, once you get past content creation and work, um, it really took on what most people would call traditional biohacking. So that was around 2011. And that would be when I started wearing sensors. And, and back then it was, uh, the, it took what I called the categorization of health. And that was everything from uh, nutrition activity, um, uh, sleep, and that was it. Because I broke out spirituality in a whole separate subtopic, although today I, I roll uh, spirituality into bio, uh, biological health. After health, I took on environment that same year, which were just sensors in my house, uh, ambient light, ambient sound, humidity, air quality, particulates. And then uh, after that, obviously, I got into money. Because uh, you measure money and how you spend money and money's effect on your life. And then finally, uh, the more esoteric uh, things such as spirituality. And even down into self-love um, and self-compassion and more Buddhist-type principles, which are slightly different than spiritual ones, by the end of 2012, 2013. And of course, what I talk about nowadays is the last bit of quantification and hacking I did, which was temporal or time hacking. Um, and that was in the year 2014, 2015. So... It was a very long lens of information that I, I looked at and, and how I categorized and, and organized my life. Today, it's a lot simpler. 
because a lot of those systems collapse into just massive big systems. So everything is either online or offline. Online mean, meaning I'm simply doing something that's for someone else's consumption. Offline means I'm, I'm physically dealing with someone. So right now you and I are speaking in a, in a situation this is logged as online, this is also logged as content creation. And then everything falls under the Apple paradigm of activity, sleep, mindfulness, or uh, nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as spiritual hacking uh, and things like that now, that's all embedded in what I do. So I don't create a feedback loop without it having some element of spirituality to it. But we can talk more about that later. <laughs> yeah, wow. Like, uh, it sounds like you have all aspects of your life covered and uh, quantified in this sense. So how has you know, these previous experiments and the tracking, how has it actually changed your life? Have you seen some improvements in your health or your relationships or something like that? So that was the, that was the reason I started 10 years ago was, um, I was, I was smoking a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> you have to be careful because nowadays you're smoking, you could mean anything, right, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I was smoking a lot of cigarettes. Uh, I was drinking a lot of, um, colas. I was, I had a really bad diet. Um, I was on a lot of uh, medicine for depression and anxiety. I was on a lot of medicine for blood pressure. Um, I was on medicine, blood thinners, a prostate medicine. I mean, not prostate. Um, oh, uh, I can't remember. There was another one. I was on all these pills. So I was really, really unhealthy. So in the beginning, it was just about stabilizing my health. I didn't really want to lose weight or eat change my diet i just wanted to not keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse so i'm 50 this year but when i started i was 40 Mm. so when in slowing stuff down from a gradual really rapid downhill descent that a lot of people can get into it's hard when you're that 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 far off because you can gain or lose 10 pounds not even know it Mm. uh whereas when you're closer to the healthy end five or ten pounds uh, it's pretty noticeable in the beginning. Um, so once I stabilized things around measuring all of that, uh, you know, just, you know, the simple stuff in the beginning is just activity, you know, just being not so sedentary. Um, after that I focused, I didn't focus on nutrition until like three or four years in, um, activity is really the first thing. The second thing I focused on was sleep. Um, there's a lot of my bad behaviors were being driven by nights where I didn't have the proper amount of rest. Um, and when I say proper amount, I just mean the quality and state, uh, time in bed, uh, time to fall asleep, all the metrics that are usually tied to a night, not beyond just seven hours of sleep, you know, well, seven hours of sleep, but it took an hour and a half to fall asleep, you know, and it was seven hours of sleep, but it was seven hours of sleep in the middle of the day. You know, those kinds of things didn't count. So, um, yeah, it was, it was good. Um, and obviously a lot started changing within a year. So, uh, you know, I was able to quit smoking. I was by year three, I was off all the different psychiatric drugs I'd been on my entire life. Um, by year four, I was off of all the biological drugs, the heart medicines and things like that. Uh, I'd lost a hundred pounds. Uh, I quit, quit smoking. I had, uh, you know, totally changed everything about my life. Um, and, and the hardest work, I think, and, and the thing that changed the most in all my relation in all of that was my relationships, because one thing we don't talk about when we talk about biohacking is the effect it has on the people in our lives yeah. and the people in our lives usually like us the way we are, you know, so if you change yeah. your diet or something, you know, it's like, 
you're a biohacker. You almost have to marry a biohacker because no one else will understand you, yeah. especially when you change routines. So uh, that was, I'll be honest, that was the part that was hard. I wouldn't recommend biohacking to just anybody. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, like a, a lot of people tend to fall into this down. They tend to fall into these different uh, spirals of uh, being uh, attached to certain habits and uh, negative behavior but uh, I'm, i'm curious to know like whether or not it was simply these these quantifications whether or not they actually help you to overcome your habits because of you kind of revealed themselves or you saw some data or you saw some things that you had to do or was it like along the lines of that the tracking itself became like a new substitute or a new activity that you could kind of become addicted to in a healthy way <laughs> Yeah, so the tracking was an aspect of replacing one set of focused attention for another. But where the tracking, the tracking actually helped me illuminate, where all the bad habits were interlaced. You smoke when you drink, you eat bad when you're, you know, hungover, you don't sleep. I mean, they're all, all those interlaced. The tracking by stitching all of the bad habits together and measuring them, mm. I was able to see how things work together. So all of my data back in the day was stored in Google Calendar. And because it was stored by category and by color, I could immediately see a really bad day versus a really good day. Whereas a lot of people would focus on, you know, a lot of hardcore biohackers would focus on the specific numbers. Right. Back then, because I was capturing so much data, I could focus on the DNA blueprint of a day. Mm. So if a, if a day had a certain color scheme, regardless of the hardcore numbers, I knew what type of day it was. So days that were heavier on work and less focused on sleep had a certain pattern of how I spent my time. And ironically enough, if we go full circle, here we are 10 years later, that's how I do all the quantification now. Now I still measure a lot of hardcore numbers, you know, everything from, you know, blood insulin to blood pressure, etc. But the thing where I actually manually log nowadays is time and how I spend my time. So where I could be at a restaurant, historically, I, I'd say, okay, this is the location I'm at. And then I'm, you know, I'm eating and you dog the food. Now what I do is this is the location I'm at and these are the feelings I'm having. Hmm. So a restaurant can be more than just a food delivery event. A restaurant can be a social situation for friends or a restaurant can be a social situation for intimacy and love. And the, if it's with my partner, a social situation can be um, professional. Mm. So I look at the time spent today differently, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It, it definitely like, it's also, I believe it would be more practical and uh, more convenient for everyday use as well to not get caught up with all the specific data and numbers, but to get this sort of a signature or a, or a basic, you know, like a score, <laughs> like different, they're going to yeah. get different apps, give it uh, like a daily score. And that's a, like a more practical way of actually using that data. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm also curious about how, how has this tracking changed your perception of reality? And uh, <laughs> do, do you, you mentioned that you have these all different lenses of, of biohacks and self quantifications Like, do you see like numbers everywhere or how does it change your perception? Perception? So I used to see numbers everywhere. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of TV shows where I talk about how I just see people are just piles of data. Uh, and I would see people as if they were walking piles of data. Like I could see a biometric layer on someone. I could see a behavioral layer on someone. 
like hours online. I could see, you know, uh, the biometrics, obviously all the ones everyone's used to, but then I could see information like, you know, how many emotions they were having at any given time. Cause I tracked like how many simultaneous emotions would pass in my brain at a moment. Um, none of that really, I, I can still do that today. It's a really cool parlor trick to walk up to someone and say, your heart rate's 81, your blood pressure is like 120 over 60 and your body temperature's, you know, 99.1 and then test them. And they're like, how did you know all that? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't serve any purpose. It's a good party trick. It's good for social situations. If you're meeting someone new and you want to gauge them, but outside of that, you know, there's no real value in it. Um, so, you know, my, my perception of reality today is really through the lens of temporality. Um, and that's what I talked about two years ago or a year ago at the uh, biohacking summit. And that's, I see things through the lens of their temporal fingerprint. And there are two types of temporal fingerprints that I look for. One is the, the chronological temporal fingerprint. So things that are happening in normal linear order, hours, days, minutes, weeks, uh, et cetera. And then I, I see, I also measure things through a non-linear format, which the Greeks called kairos. Um, and that's on linear, on structured time. And on structured time is actually easier to measure if you know what to look for. So normally people have a feeling like, oh, I should do this now. It's like uh, some people call it, or I shouldn't do this now, like a gut feeling. Um, that's kind of basic non-linear time that we all feel. Um, and the other type of uh, signature that you see beyond that first kind of gut feeling is coincidence. Like, oh. Well, wow, look, that's a coincidence. I just, I just read that and now I'm seeing it. Um, and then after coincidence, you get into serendipity, which is coincidence for two people. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, you get into the higher end synchronicity. So, wow, you, me, and someone else saw this situation affected all of us at the exact same time, even though we all were independently aware of it. When you start to measure these things, you start to notice them, just like every other type of quantification. Mm -hmm. And you can also start to notice them in other people. Um, so, you know, some of my earliest kind of experiments or kind of fun things were just tracking when I would meet someone and a lot of the random data elements that they would notice. And then I would reproduce those data elements for that person next time I saw them. Almost to like gaslight them into thinking that there's something similar about the two times we met to see what it took that they would notice and wait for them to say like, hey, I just had deja vu. Or, hey, whatever it was, to try to understand what is it that, is there something environmental that affects us? And, and there are times there are, but I'll tell you, most of the times it's not. It's almost as if all of humanity is running on two time tracks all the time. One we're consciously aware of and one we're unconsciously aware of. And as we become consciously aware of the unconscious time track, that's when we all are like, oh, that's, that's neat. What is that thing? Sometimes it's dark, like in the world right now, it's a lot of dark feelings and all the dark weirdness, but that's just the other time track. That's not, you know, that's not new. We're just more plugged in. But there's way too much information to decode the matrix. You get used to it. I, I don't even see the code. All I see is blonde, brunette, redhead. Does that, any of that make sense to you? Well, it does, yeah. I heard your speech at the Biohacker Summit as well, and it was like very fascinating for, and it's very like interesting topic of how technology and how are, or, you know, these different self-qualification, how they change our perception of reality in the sense of perception of time, because yep. like, like, like Einstein said, time is relative and uh, we all kind of experience it in a different way. He had a quote along the lines of that, you know, spending an hour with 
with your loved one is it can happen at the blink of an eye and you know being in torture can last an eternity or something like that and uh, i think like we all people we have to kind of or we want to pay attention to how how can we uh, savor the moments that we enjoy and how can we you know go through these periods of discomfort in a faster way without you know losing ourselves in the midst of it so how can you maybe like talk about how can you talk about like, how to slow down time yeah so slowing down time uh so one to slow down time you really have to unplug from chronological time um so some simple hacks to slow down time um my computer uh the one i'm staring at right now has no visible clock <laughs> right? mm-hmm. I don't have any visible clocks in my field of vision when I need to slow down time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, if I have to use something that has a clock feature, like a watch, I also add a, a temporal feature that's a little bit slower. So you'll see on my watch right now, I have the moon. So we just passed a full moon cycle now. Um, and basically this moon only changes every three, or three days or so as it, the moon actually phases. So first thing is no physical clock that you can see if you can help it. And if there's a physical clock there, change the way you see the physical clock. Mm -hmm. The second thing is to not use applications that have any type of immediacy. So things that can access something immediate, like I don't use those. So I won't search from uh, the home bar on a browser. I go to the Google website and I search from that space. Uh, I turn off all the type ahead stuff. Um, So immediacy and access to technology that has immediacy actually makes things go very fast. (laughs) You feel like life is going away from you very, very fast. Um, And then uh, I use count up clocks. So they're not normally visible, but like right now, if I swipe in from the side of my screen, I have clocks that count up. Uh, So it's been 329 days since I moved, right? So when things are counting up, it slows times down. When things are counting down, it speeds time up. Um, So there's a lot of like visual hacks I do. You know, when it comes to like auditory hacks for slowing time, um, you know, I have an alarm I use on if I need to slow time down that's just bird sound. Mm. Uh, It's birds chirping instead of any of the normal type of alarms. Uh, You know, nature sounds slows me down. So anything that's tied to a longer system of time, um, you know, birds only chirp, you know, in the spring and then in the mornings. Um, So it's all about looking at what your mind is attracted to and when it's feeling slow or fast and then saying, are there natural things that can replace these technical things with to create the illusion so that my mind is tricked constantly. Mm -hmm. Now, does it work? That's the big thing. Does it work? So in the beginning, you don't notice it working. You just notice there's something different. So like in my home bar on my computer right here, I wonder if I could share my screen. I think I can share my screen. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen with you. Do you see my screen? Yeah, I can. So do you see up here this home bar where this, it's, got a, it's got the sun and a leaf and, um, and a flower and a snowflake? And you see this bar? Yeah. And it says 60, 60%. Yeah. So that's that's how much of my life is have used. Uh, so this is a this is an application that looks at uh, my behavior and then how long my projected uh, life date is, and then tells me how much of that time is used. Mm-hmm. So when I need time to move slower, I default this to my life because I've got sixty percent of my life behind me. I've got forty percent left. That's pretty good. This isn't 
this isn't going to change to 59% tomorrow. It's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. If I need things to move a little bit faster, I just change this to month. And I know that, you know, okay, 30% of, you know, the, the month is about to be used up. So that looks like it might be off depending on the date. I need to figure that out. Um, so again, there are visual things I do, mm-hmm. you know, I you can see there's no clocks here either. Um, so, you know, there's are there are like really, I think, fascinating ways that your mind can get a hold of and rearrange time itself. The hardest part is in the beginning when you're slowing time down, you're like, oh, shit, what time is it? I need to know, like, physically, what time is it? Yeah. But then you have to say, you know, then you have to go, are there ways you can do that that are less aggressive? So, you know, don't look, don't use minutes. Um, my computer only announces the time. So like on the hour, if you have a Mac, the Mac can announce the time. Um, so that way I only have a whole hour, but I always know what time it is, but not, not for a whole nother hour. The other thing I do, if I want to slow down time and know what time it is, is I look at behavior metrics. So there's only about so many steps you have by early in the morning. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you can look at your sleep. You can also look at the calories you consume to figure out what time of day it is. Um, and if all else fails, you can always pretend like it's 1880 and look outside at the sun. So, um, you know, for me, this is a really, a a real passion project because so much of the challenges I've had with depression or anxiety or, or anger is a big one for me come from time being changed uh, by someone else or something else. Yeah, it's true. Like a lot of people, especially in the modern world, they're like, they're running through these nine to five jobs. They're constantly stressed out and uh, they're, they're out of time. They're too busy. And they're literally, their temporal experience of, their subjective experience of time is also speed up. And they're literally like, like flying through the space at high speed. <laughs> and they, yeah. don't, they don't get the time to take a moment to reflect back on the present moment, actually, and to slow things down, to actually experience it. And it's a, it's a shame in the sense that people are subjectively living shorter lives, even though our lifespans are actually longer than in the past. So it's kind exactly. of... It's funny and, and people who are speeding like you just said i mean it's more than just they're missing their lives it's and this is what people miss about what the work i think that i like to talk about it's more than you miss your life it's okay that you miss your life you miss your life when you're sleeping <laughs> you miss your life when you know you're in love and it goes real fast it's 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 when you're living super fast like that you treat other things differently you treat other people differently you have a sense of entitlement when time is not on your side that you don't have when time is on your side. Mm. When you say when things are moved slower and you appreciate nature, you're more careful with it. You're not so likely to do something like litter or yeah. uh, you consider product. So to me, it's more than just slowing your life down. It's literally making sure that you don't hurt other people. Mm. And I hope that makes sense because I know when I'm super speedy, I hurt other people in my inattention and care of just noticing maybe they need to talk yeah yeah it's, it's a good it's good metaphor of how you said earlier how how you can kind of take or you can put these uh, emotional feelings with or emotional relationships with other people exactly into the same pot of is it yeah. is it worth my time at the moment is this person worth my time i'm wasting time <laughs> and yeah, yeah exactly yeah. If, if we act as if we had more time or if we actually had more time, then we would be more caring because we wouldn't be in a rush. We wouldn't be so busy that uh, we forget about you know others, others as well. So that's a, like exactly. A, 
So by logging the type of time that I'm spending with someone, I don't worry about speeding through it because I know it's going into a bucket of something. So logging time with you could be a friendship thing. You know what I mean? So like even this podcast, again, how you categorize your life defines your life. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, You have to look at all the possible situation even and even if these uncomfortable situations or these being being busy that can also be actually quite a life lesson that can be yes. categorized categorized yes. as positive like a net positive effect in the future so it's all yes. a matter of perspective and subjective and I, I i tell my friends you know we all only have one job like it doesn't matter what you get paid to do you only have one job you have to die <laughs> like everything else you do in life is optional But the moment you're born, you have to die. And the difference between a good death and a bad death is how you treat the last moments of life. And how you treat the last moments of life are the work you do every day when you think you're living. Mm -hmm. So someone who dies old and peacefully has all the tools and uses them to die old and peacefully. Someone who dies violently with a lot of anxiety and pain and a lot of other things didn't use the tools well. So I consider the quantification to be a, a study on a good death. Right. Yeah. Not and a good life. Yeah. yeah huh. Like w- one of the ancient uh, Stoic philosophers, Cynic, uh, he wrote the book on the shortness of life. And he, and he said that it's not that life is short. It's simply that men waste it away. And yeah. that's exactly the case. But uh, maybe like, do you think that there is this possibility to kind of freeze time as well uh, with some sort of like, let's say with some virtual reality or something like that, where you can, you know, spend like 100 years inside a video game, but in the real world, you're like five minutes or something like, is, is it, do you think something is something along the possible like that? I think there's two ways to look at that. There's the, like you just said, when you're in the video game, there's there's the temporal suspension of of cognition, right? Like you don't realize time's going by. Um, but I think you could do something else with that, that same scenario. Is you could actually suspend a lot of the systems in your in your body. So everything from your telomeres to your fingernails. Um, you know. So you know. One of the things I I track is like how long it takes to for my fingernails to grow. Hmm. And can I slow down the growth of my fingernails? Can I slow down the growth of my hair? Because in some ways, if you can learn to have that that type of dominion control over your body, you are changing time, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, for me, I always look at aging as one of those things. Longevity hacking is like one of these really, really kind of holy grails for biohackers. Um, But, you know, making your body pristine and perfect, you know, when you're 60 doesn't do you a lot of good if your mind is totally fucked up, right? So, you know, to me, they've got to go hand in hand. So, yeah, I think you, what you said, I think you completely do that. For me, I, though, I have to look at it both ways. You know, how do I first slow down the mind in that VR game you're talking about? And then second, what, what conditions do I have to do to make sure the body is also in sync with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, bo- bodies that die before brains are, are, are a mess to look at, and brains that die before our bodies may ruin everyone's life around them you're better off having the body go first yeah that is it is interesting yeah but uh with with biohacking and technology there's always the fear 
of of some sort of a dystopian future like you know the terminator the matrix and the ai is going to imprison or are or are you know self quantification quantification devices are going to imprison us so do you think we may end up with something like that you know who knows i mean the reality is when i think about these types of things the minute i notice my brain saying oh this dystopian future is going to happen i usually have a level of self importance that it's not healthy. Let's be honest. Hmm. I, I don't think any AI sufficiently advanced AI will care about me in my life. <laughs> uh, and I seriously don't. I mean, because again, I don't think about the bugs in the yard when I walk across the grass and I don't think a sufficiently advanced AI is going to care one bit about controlling humans. Mm -hmm. um, other than maybe the scenario where they treat us like batteries, like the matrix. Right. Uh, you know, I think that's a possibility. Like we could be engineering a lot of, you know, right now, if we, if you believe in simulation theory, that we could be engineering a lot of this technology to create um, massive renewable energy for the machines. Uh, and we've already been enslaved, right? And this is all a simulation and a lot of the solar and other types of uh, renewable energy. But that's kind of far-fetched, you know, even for machines. But at the end of the day, you know, machines need energy just like everything else. So it's the most likely of the unlikely dystopian scenarios. Mm -hmm. But even if it is, it's not a bad simulation. You've been living in a dream world, Neil. One of the more simplistic examples I like to think of is like uh, the Aura Ring, for example. We, we, we could imagine a, a similar sleep tracking device is going to look at your night sleep score and it sees that you didn't sleep well. So what it's going to do instead to kind of cope for that is to give you some sort of an electrical shock or something that puts you out, something that knocks you out completely during the day so that you could you know, recover and you could actually get your lost hours of sleep. So that's like a, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, it's like a good example of how AI can actually start forcing certain behavior onto humans that are actually better for us because humans, we most of the time we act in a way that isn't good for us, not good for our health or good for our longevity. So the AI, well, AI the planet. Yeah, yeah. Go to sleep, go to sleep. And again, you know, that's where I was thinking, you know, if there is some massive AI out there, they're going to make sure we don't blow things up. So I, I don't know. It could, it could be all of these things. But again, I, I try not to get too caught up in the fantasy because it usually means I'm thinking that I'm too special. <laughs> yeah but i want to talk about you know quantification and being human in general in the context of biohacking and uh, technological advancement They're like does being connected make us less human or does it make us actually better humans i think it makes us better humans and our and my one and only ted talk that i did there's a bunch of ted talks about me but i've only done one um <laughs> There's uh, the actual talk of the TED talk was called is being connected costing us our humanity. Um, and I think it, if you look at how we define humanity and how I define humanity, which is this, this, this process of uh, organic evolution uh, that is simultaneously bound to uh, an awareness of ephemerality. Um, you know, there are a lot of organic systems that are evolving, but I don't know if they're aware of their ephemeralness, that, you know, how, how short their, their lifespans are. So I think humanities strive uh, at the basic organic sentient level before you get into the spiritual stuff um, is to 
cope with their short lifespans, their short amount of um, energy that they'll be allowed to expend uh, while here. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think technology is amp- amplifying that. You know, I think a lot of people would say the world today is much busier and much more stressed than it ever was before. And in that way, I think people are hyper aware of um, the things that are changing. Uh, one of the definitions of time is the measurement of change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if that's the case and humans are one of the few species, I don't know for sure, uh, that is aware of time, then I think, yeah, technology is actually expanding our humanity in ways that we don't understand yet, which is why a lot of my things I talk about today might seem far out there. But if we were to go back five or six years ago and I were to go into all the strict biohacking stuff, they, people would be like, that's crazy. And like, you know, mm-hmm. today people walk around Sweden with chips on their hands and, you know, Timu looks like a robot, right? So <laughs> it, it's, it's cool, but I, I, think, I think it is expanding. The problem is we now are struggling with the difference between our humanity and the humanity. So our humanity is just like mine, like my subjective experience of like, this is not good. Well, that's much different than, well, this isn't bad for everyone. Like, and if I say humanity is a, you know, a species or, you know, a mass organism, it's actually not that bad. You know, longevity has never been better. Health has never been uh, better. Uh, education's never been higher. Um, for all intents and purposes, if you look at us as a mass organism, we are, technology has saved us. <laughs> Individually, though, it doesn't feel so good. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. It's, al- it's always as a, as, a, as a self or a subjective personality or entity, then you kind of always want to maintain integrity and main consistency with who you are and uh, you know, how do you define yourself. And biohacking, in yeah. a sense, it kind of contradicts it because it requires ah. you to change every aspect of yourself. And even on a species scale, biohacking and technology, they're going to... D- force us to redefine what it means to be human and that's something that is scary and because it's so you know strange and it's so foreign to us at the moment it's so it's completely the opposite to what uh, organic evolution has been so far over the course of these thousands of years and uh, it literally it's a, like a huge quantum leap in uh, the, the development of the species and, it, and it's only and it's only scary because it's so foreign and uh, unfamiliar but if we were to kind of quantum leap ourselves into the future and act as if or think as if a post-human race, then it, would, it wouldn't be scary. It would be quite the opposite. It would be natural and uh, self-explanatory almost. Yeah. I, I love the way you, you, you drew the parallel between biohacking and um, agency. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times a lot of biohackers don't consider agency inside of their own practices when it comes to biohacking. And for me, the one drawback to biohacking is the same drawback that technology has. And that's that technology right now on the planet, you know, I think there are, you know, three or five billion smartphones, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether you have an iPhone or an Android, everybody has the same interface. Yeah. So everybody has buttons and they have similar applications So everybody's interface to each other and the world around them is the same. Biohacking is the same thing where they take the interface to the human organism Mm -hmm. and they homogenize it to the point where there's no agency, right? Mm -hmm. So in biohackers, they all share similar optimal statistics, you know, 
whether it's Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week or Kevin Rose's uh, intermittent fasting routine, it doesn't really matter. But what we're doing is we're taking common principles and saying it doesn't matter who you are as an individual human with a lot of agency and individuality, you need to meet these statistics. So we're taking everybody's very interesting interface and we're homogenizing it. Do you understand? Yeah, I, I do understand. But at the same time, you know, biohacking itself is also like learning what works specifically for you because, you know, there's a lot of genetic variations and uh, lifestyle factors that all affect uh, that. So there's still some agency in the sense that it, it maintains your unique blueprint in the, yeah. in the core. But eventually the practice itself will probably lead to some point where you kind of don't or you, you evolve further from that and you'll become more integrated with, with, and, with and, 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 and that's what I'm seeing. I mean, that's what I'm already seeing happen is in, we have a website. I don't know if you have it in the Nordics uh, here called Etsy. Uh, and Etsy sells like custom things, like everything from sweaters to woodworking. It's like mm -hmm. homemakers make these things. And I see these two kind of very defined future patterns for the biohacking community. The, you know, the first one about five or six years from now, will be an Etsy community of habits that you can buy, mm, you right. know, where you literally say, Hey, I want to borrow your habits on this particular set of lifestyles and I want to apply them in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'll download the IP that you've pioneered or tried on yourself and I'll try it like trying on a new shirt, except I'll try on a new set of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, I, I totally see this kind of world where it's avatar driven, where, you could spend a, a day or a week as me and I could just like you would Uber a car or Airbnb a house. I could Uber my life and my behaviors and you could drive me for a week because I think so much of my life now, if I just gave you the logins and passwords to everything I use, you for all intents and purposes would be me. Mm. You would see my life and my behaviors. You would see them logged and you could almost feel it. That's not a far leap to actually being me. Mm-hmm. And I think if you go 15 years out, you spending a day or so as me would be a really interesting way to create empathy, but it also becomes an interesting way to do all sorts of things that would be probably sci-fi-ish. <laughs> problematic. Kind of. Yes, very problematic. So where do you see uh, consciousness in this? Like, uh, how, how do you see your subjective experience you know how do, how can you can you locate it in your body or do you can you kind of create this avatar of yourself i used to be able to locate it I, since i started doing a lot of the crazier stuff with time i can't locate it anymore um it's a, it always seems to be slightly outside of myself and my perception of time mm -hmm. um it's like a ghost version of myself uh like a, a forward shadow in time and a backward shadow, shadow in time. As far as like, you know, consciousness, I do think there's some interesting emergent phenomenon going on with people, all people, not just me, um, around temporality. Um, there's some interesting conspiracy theories online around this, this concept of something called the Zeno effect, uh, which is basically false memories. So people who remember things uh, differently, uh, populations who remember certain people being alive or dead who are actually not alive or not dead. Um, there's also some very strange kind of things happening with, I mean, I meet children all the time who are missing time. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's been three days. I'm like, no, that, that was yesterday. <laughs> so 
I don't know. I do believe there is an emergent conscious, connected consciousness hmm. uh, uh, with, with people, but it might be too soon to talk about. Yeah, that's, that's definitely another rabbit hole we could go into about yeah. consciousness and stuff, but uh, I simply wanted to know. But let's like talk about, you know, how can you, some easier topics, like how can you not be taken advantage by your technology and social media at the moment of how to not get drowned into the news feed of your smartphone? Yeah, so, you know, I try to avoid using anything that I can't resort by chronological order. Um, so, you know, algorithms that resort your feed to drive metrics, you know, I, I avoid those. Um, I use a couple of different plugins for social media by a guy named Ben uh, Grosser. Um, one's the Facebook Demetricator. Um, mm. I, I can show you how it looks. Let me share my screen again. Share screen. Uh, pull this up here. You see my screen okay? Yeah, I can see. So you'll notice on my Facebook, there's no, um, it doesn't show me how many people liked something. Mm. And it doesn't show me when someone replied. See all the dates and times are missing. Mm-hmm. How my Facebook has no numbers. Mm-hmm. So the the Facebook decorator removes all the numbers. So if I come in to uh, here, I can actually turn this off, and then all the numbers will be back in Facebook. So normally, when people look at Facebook, that's what makes pace Facebook seem like this endless hole. Mm-hmm. I also use the Twitter uh, the, the metricator. So you notice my, I can't see the number of retweets. I can't see the number of likes or messages. Everything looks numberless. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, go ahead. So it kind of distorts. How does it distort your perception of time? These numbers and so likes. Just, so the thing is, I notice for me when I'm consuming social media, I, to like get through a news feed, as you just, you know, you're talking about news feeds, you know, for me to get through a news feed, the biggest problem with Facebook when I first log in is I'm instantly like, oh, you know, how many notifications do I have? Do I have to check them? How many friend requests? How many messages have come in? Mm-hmm. And then uh, what order are these in? And like, you don't know. And then what I'll do is I'm scrolling through. And a lot of people, I think, do this who are on Facebook. They scroll through and they'll see something with a lot of comments or a lot of likes or something. And they'll go, oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. And then they get to the comments. And like, oh, let's read these. And then they break open a comment thread and they go back down it. And I, that to me makes, it makes social media really difficult. Uh, I, I don't like feeling my attention being pulled, especially once I realize what's pulling it. Yeah. It's like having a magnet in things. So um, again, that, that's the easiest way for, for me to, to handle kind of social media and those types of metrics. You know, other things I do is I try to, when I launch new scope, or new um, tabs, they're always biometric in nature. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, a new tab is never just a blank page. It's some type of page that has something to do with, you know, in this case, my biometrics. Hmm. What, so there are certain, what app is that? Uh, this is Gyroscope. Okay, okay. That sounds, sounds quite useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of themes I can do if I wanted to come in here and change it. I can do an awareness theme that shows me a bunch of where I am, how many steps, etc. I can just do an age theme. So if I just want to slow down the time, hmm. <laughs> you know, so they're all basically just themes on a life, <laughs> you know, hmm. a productivity theme. If I want to see how I've spent my day so far, what type of apps, etc. Hmm. There's me wake up in the middle of the night because of my jet lag watching YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, those are some simple hacks I think we all can do uh, that will help, you know, just with, you know, you said social media. I think, you know, that's a really good way. Uh, the other thing is, you know, on your mobile phone, you know, uh, I, I don't have any icons on my home screen except for three on my bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the icons I use on my uh, second screen have wrappers. So if I go into social media on any of these apps, I'll try to launch one for you. You'll see they all make me stop and take a breath. Yeah, I, I use the similar one. Yeah, it's, it's quite good. It forces you to become mindful of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also have a death stack. So this app shows me how much time I have left based on my behaviors. If I exercise or eat well, I add days to my life. If I don't, I don't. Wow. Um, I have another app that gives me reminders that I'm going to die. And then it just gives me little quotes about death. And then if I have to get actually into my apps, I usually log them by vice. So mm. the folders are by sin or vice, you know, mm. things like pride, gluttony, <laughs> lust, <laughs> uh, et cetera. So there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways I think you can help deal with the onslaught of technology um, every day. All of my device names are always interesting things. So like my watch is called kindness. So when I connect to it, it says, do you want to connect to kindness? Mm-hmm. My hotspot on my phone is called you are loved. Mm-hmm. So other people who go to connect to hotspots see my phone name as you are loved. <laughs> so they're forced to deal with kind of, seeing that message yeah. and not knowing what it means. Uh, and it also kind of forces, I, forces them to pay attention to this kind of stuff as well. And it's also yeah, like, yeah. and it's like this sort of a ripple, a positive ripple that just kind of spread. Exactly. exactly. And then I keep quotes in my phone, like uh, those little like Pinterest quotes that have nice sayings on them. And I look for people who have open airdrop and I send them to them, uh, which is strangers on the buses and things. Because <laughs> uh, it'll say, uh, do you want to accept this file from you were loved? And it'll show them an image of the file. It'll be some type of nice quote about moving slow or being good to the world. So it's like, it's like flashing, you know, like a flasher would show you their junk, except I do digital flashing for mindfulness things. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It's like handing out flowers at the airport. If you're uh, a Hare Krishna, except I'm yeah. a, I'm a cyborg Hare Krishna. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, but what what about what about these uh, privacy settings and uh, sharing your data from on social media? Is it true that you know it's true that you know Facebook and Google they are mining your information about everything you do online and they have like these massive databases about your life? What what do you think about that? Should we be worried? No, no. I mean, again, I I don't think any one of us is that special. Uh, I think as a community, I might be concerned. Like if I was in you know Finland or something. I would definitely say, okay, as a Finn, I think we want certain rules that we can't be targeted as a population. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be you know, political systems that you don't want targeting you. And we're seeing a lot of that kind of play out now. But um, no, I mean, it's hard for me because I think sometimes people get way caught up in thinking they're special and important and worrying about their data so much so that they don't, they don't actually focus on what's really important. If someone's that, you know, I think if, if you're as concerned as I am and you've taken the effort that I've taken to understand your own behavior and your data, then yes, you should be concerned. But if you're someone who's sharing on Facebook and you're just going anywhere and you're carrying a smartphone, no, I mean, you, you obviously don't care. 
<laughs> and all the privacy in the world is not going to protect you. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's just like anything else. It just comes with a level of appreciation and then a level of effort, you know? Uh, but I can understand why people would want to be upset. I can understand why people would want to focus on those things. Because um, it's the first time for a lot of people they even thought about their online digital footprint. Mm -hmm. It's the very first time. You know, Facebook has made people go, oh, wow. Um, you know, and people are at least talking about it. But I don't know. It's hard for me because I always sound like such an ass because I'm so mean about it. Uh, but I don't mean to be. It's just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, Welcome I, to I, I agree with you because, yeah, most people who protest against these data sharing, they usually are simply afraid of sharing their browser history or or they they simply they they don't even use like these different passwords for their for their networks they all use the same password and something like that they're not taking any proactive approach to their privacy either and they're simply no, and they're, they're simply pissed they're, off that someone is spying on them but they actually volunteered for it and they're usually the biggest abusers like <sighs> to your point you know, and I, I'm convinced that some people want to be popular so bad that they'll, they'll accept a data breach, right? Just to get someone to notice them, mm. right? No one noticed all these people who are very privacy focused. Have you ever noticed they all want to be liked, mm. right? You'll never see someone who's interested in privacy who isn't obsessed with their metrics, <laughs> right? So I, I just think there's a really fine line between narcissism and, and identity theft. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, someone who's really narcissistic hopes somebody will steal their identity just for one, so one day somebody cares about them digitally. Yeah. You know, it's dark and it's deep and it's much more psychologically pathologizing than I think most people realize. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these people today who are, you know, on either side of all the different political debates globally all they're really saying is not, I believe in this, I believe in that. They're just saying, please don't forget to count me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's, it's, that's it's all that's happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all an ego trip. The world is not divided. The world is just starving for attention. So fucking important. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. But uh, what about some of the downsides of uh, these gadgets, you know, technology and they, they kind of emanate these electromagnetic frequencies and Bluetooth and wireless signals? Have you paid any attention to that? No, I've been, I've been aware of that for some time. I mean, obviously, because I was in the news early for a lot of this, I would get people who would write to me and say, you're going to die. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, thank God. You know, some days I wish it would come quicker. Um, but no, I, I don't pay attention to that. And I think in some ways, you know, it's the jury's still out. I mean, we're all about the same digital age as far as our exposure. Mm -hmm. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, happens over the next, you know, 10 or 15 years. Um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are wearing devices now full time. Mm. Um, it's strange how, you know, I will have like marks on my body now from sensors. So, you know, some people die with tattoos. I die with like these imprints from sensors on my skin. So it'll, who knows? Yeah, it will be interesting to see how like a technological world is going to affect the future generations or the, gener or the millennial generations who have actually born into a world of, of 4G and, and Wi-Fi. Whereas we, yeah. we, we as children, we still had, you know, we were still walking barefoot on the grass and we didn't have yeah. these constant uh, microwave <laughs> wavelengths uh, shooting into our bodies. So it's, it was interesting to see long-term 
we don't know what the long-term effects are. And yeah, it's going to be probably some sort of a, another paradigm shift, I believe, that may happen in the new, near coming years. I had a really cool app on my phone for the longest time I was going to show you. And it showed you all the waves around you. Are you familiar with our open art? I think it's called architecture. Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, it's cool. I'll see if I can find it. If I can't, I'll, yeah, it's called architecture. So we'll see if you can see the screen there. Look, can you see that screen a little bit? Yeah, I can see. And what this does is it shows you all the cell towers, Wi-Fi routers and satellites around you at any given time. So as you move it around, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, you can see the different names around me. Yeah. You can hear it. Your neighbor's Wi-Fi are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this, this app allows you to see all the signals that are bombarding you in a room at any time. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, so I love stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, one of the, something that someone told me early on about some of the work I was doing, and I love the way it, the phrase is, but it's about making the, um, making the invisible visible, hmm. you know, and a lot of these technologies, they are really just that it's just all this kind of invisible stuff you can't see about yourself, um, and fixing it. So, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I, I don't know how it's all affecting me. I have no idea. I wish I had an answer for you. It's, it's like, I agree with you that technology is, is almost consciousness. It's not consciousness in the sense of self-consciousness, but it's consciousness in the sense of raising awareness and kind of revealing your blind spots as a human. So that's definitely yep. something we, 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 we as a species definitely need because yeah. the human brain is so biased and uh, we're motivated uh -huh. to, to lie to ourselves basically just so we could fit our own uh, narrative. Ignorance is bliss. A lot of people are definitely you know, like interested in using these different self-quantifications and apps and stuff like that, but they definitely not going to level up to your level immediately. So where can people start? What's the easiest things they can do? Yeah, I, th I think the fastest thing you can do is install something on your desktop, whether it be your laptop or your, your desktop, like Rescue Time is a free app and it shows you how you spend your time, uh, what apps you use, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I think on your phone, uh, you know, if you're using an Apple phone, you could spend some time reviewing Apple Health, you know, without putting any data in there, it's collecting some data about you. Um, uh, that's a very simple thing you can do to start. Um, I love Gyroscope, which is the plugin you saw that runs on both Apple and Android, keeps track of a lot of metrics about your life. Mm -hmm. Gyroscope actually has, has an onboarding um, uh, that shows you all the different things you can log into to start tracking. Um, if you know, if you just want to use everyday stuff, I think reviewing um, a lot of the anniversary tools. Spotify has some anniversary tools. This is what you listened to mm -hmm. last year. Uh, Facebook has uh, on this day, which is also a very interesting uh, thing you can start to do to get started. Um, something I really like is. I take a screenshot of my phone um, once a month at the first on the first day of every month and keep them in a folder so I can see how I'm changing. Hmm. So the types of apps and wallpaper, etc. Also because the phone, and I've done this since the first iPhones, since you first could do screenshots. And also you start to notice like, you know, the, the changes in your life and what's important to you. Another area I tell people to pay attention to and take screenshots of is on your phone. In the battery settings, it shows you what apps are using battery. Mm -hmm. So that's a good way of seeing how you're spending your time on your phone. <laughs> yeah. 
So if, if you want to see like why you feel bad, you know, when you feel bad emotionally, like look at that and see what apps you've been in. I can guarantee days when you're super happy, those battery and those, those apps are in a different order than days you're in sad. Yeah. Uh, so it's weird. I mean, the first thing that goes when I'm in a, when I'm having an emotional issue is music. Mm. You know, I, music, I never listen to music when I'm sad. Um, it just doesn't, I, that's, that's the, one of the first things my mind shuts down is my ability to enjoy music. Listen to a lot of music when I'm happy. So I'm very sensitive to changes in my music consumption. Mm. Um, but there's so many ways people can get started nowadays. Uh, just by being aware, you know, Instagram is building in tools now in their feed to show you how, how long you've spent inside Instagram. Um, Android, if you're an Android user, they're coming out. Android P will have all sorts of tools to help you understand how you're spending your time on your phone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's uh, hopefully there's just some, a few concrete little things in there for people to try. They're both free and not free and hard and easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a lot of practical. Uh, th- and I'm also going to look into all of these apps that you mentioned and uh, looking yeah. to kind of biohack my own time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because once you're healthy, once you're even if you get healthy and you become the world's best biohacker, you still will die. So how yeah. do you then get? How do you do the last biohack, which is time? Yeah, that is the last, the last leap or something. Uh, Interesting. Are there any like specific experiments you're particularly interested in at that moment? No, I'm not doing much. I have a book coming out this fall, so. Uh, I mean, the last five or six months have just been focused on working with the different teams in New York to get ready for that. So I haven't really done a whole lot um, of specific experiments. I tried uh, a couple different intermittent fasting routines, um, but because of my travel schedule, they're hella hard, mm-hmm. you know, it's just so no, I don't have anything cool or trendy I'm working on now. Just the normal outrageous time hacking well, fa- stuff well, that this- I do every day. Well, they say that fasting is great for jet lag and, uh, and resetting the circadian rhythm. So <laughs> yes. it, it simply yeah. it, it requires uh, getting used to it. But after that, it kind of becomes quite easy and uh, convenient in my yeah, yeah, I did, I did good because I went to Australia last week and I was there for 10 days and I used all the circadian rhythm biohacking too. And I adjusted very fast. Mm. Coming back to the United States, I did not pay attention and I did not bother with anything I was just I had so many things I was focusing time was going fast um and I I just totally messed myself up and I'll be honest with you sometimes to me the real art of being human is letting things fall apart (laughs) uh and like feeling like shit and being okay with it and I'd say the most successful thing I did in the last 10 years was not get healthy it was okay with being unhealthy Mm. yeah I don't I don't weaponize my own thoughts against me. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's a huge success. <laughs> yeah, it's in a sense learning to, re- learning to translate or interpret the signals your body is sending you is also kind of a biohack and uh, a way yeah. of doing biofeedback. And they, yeah. do, they, do have some sort, they do have like a role. It's not all being rational and left brain oriented, logical all the time. And there is this, you know, the intuition and uh, these other aspects that we also have to, you know, take, we don't want to take, take it for granted. And also like, it's, it's a great quote from the matrix. I remember that to deny our impulses is to deny the very thing that makes us human. <laughs> to deny our own impulses is to deny the very thing 
that makes us human. And exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. So so now I used to really hate not sleeping because of jet lag, but now I just like I just roll with it. I'm like, okay, you know what? But I also build time in for it. You know, so you know, one of the my one of my, you know, I've got all these things I say that are like little Chris Dancy tropes. And one of the first ones was, we don't know how to measure what we care about, so we care about what we measure. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get better by counting steps; you get better by taking steps. Um, but the one I've been doing this year is um, stop valuing your schedule and start scheduling your values. Mm. Uh, so now what I do is I make large swaths of time for certain conditions to happen whether it's intimacy or friendship whether it's uh serenity and peace of mind for gratitude so i don't know how that hour will be spent i know that hours that get into gratitude um so i schedule that uh i schedule you know a couple hours for just serendipity so let's let's watch for magic it's going to happen any minute isn't it um and it's weird how just actually putting stuff like that on your calendar mm-hmm. helps you focus on it it's i don't know it's really remarkable i really that I wish I could go back in time and have done that this whole time because I'm much more patient with myself. My mind is an ugly, ugly neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the human mind is kind of built in a way to focus on urgency and yeah. and doing stuff that are that are deemed to be important. And yeah. uh, we usually don't put our you know self care and uh, self-love onto our schedule because it goes on the yeah. back burner. But yeah, yeah, it's very important to kind of put it into the schedule. <laughs> and actually yeah. Do it. yeah, very other, cool. Other, are there any like uh, near future gadgets or technologies you're in- excited about or waiting to see? I think the next um, ear pods will be interesting. I mean, these have the sensor in them to, for presence detection. But I think, you know, as soon as these ear pods are doing body temperature, Mm. Um, which obviously they can sense temperature now, I think. Um, that will be a really advanced thing that I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to blood oxygen coming to the watch. Um, you know, and also, the watch will have sleep. Uh, if you have an app, if you're Apple ecosystem, the watch will have sleep embedded in it. I'm looking forward to both of those things. Um, as far as, you know, I would love, I wish they would pass some laws and give us home blood testing uh, that was just mm-hmm. easier and more accurate. Uh, but no, nothing, nothing too much. I mean, if you looked at the biohacking event you guys just had over in the Nordics just this last month, it was so many new technologies and new companies. And I don't know, there's amazing stuff happening. So hmm. I yeah. think I'm just looking to meet more new biohackers. I think they're the best gadgets in the world. <laughs> the human mind, the ultimate. Yes. Swiss yes. <laughs> yes. 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 So Chris, yeah, we, I really enjoyed talking to you and uh, I'm going to, before I ask my last question, where can people learn more about you and your work? Well, you literally can just Google most connected and I come right up. <laughs> no. uh, that's the fastest way and it keeps the Google page rank uh, solid. Yeah. But you know, you just go to chrisdanty.com uh, um, and I'm there. Um, and I have a book coming out this fall called Don't Unplug, uh, Embracing Technology to Improve Your Life. Uh, so that's something I hope people will read and learn about. And I'm on Twitter. I post a lot of crazy stuff. On I'm the Donald Trump of crazy psychological biohacking on, on <laughs> online. So if you're ever into to like crazy stuff that I noticed in the population, I tweet it all all the time. Okay. Yeah. Definitely, people can uh, see some awesome l- lessons at least. 
But uh, my last question is like, what's this one habit or practice that you wish you'd adopted earlier that improved your body and your mind? Meditation. Meditation. That's, that's, that should be the first. But, I, you know, I, I was told that in the beginning and I didn't listen. I did everything else first. But if I had learned to meditate, uh, and when I say learn to meditate, I just mean took the time because there's nothing to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, just 30 minutes a day, 10 years ago, all these things would have been much easier. But I, I didn't. That was one of the last things I practiced. And uh, it made everything else uh, more difficult. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you that, you know, meditation teaches you all the other it's a meta skill that makes everything else better. Like you learn to slow down time, you learn to become more self-loving and self-aware overall. So it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and what's funny is that there's this quote by, I can't, I can't remember who it is, but it's like, um, if you don't have time to sit down and meditate for 20 minutes, yeah. then you need to sit down and meditate for four hours. <laughs> yeah, that, to, I love to, that quote. To ground yourself back and get centered. <laughs> Yeah, there's a mantra I use uh, when I meditate that I got at retreat once. And it's, um, I say to myself a few times over and over, no place to go, no one to be, nothing to do. No place to go, no one to be, nothing to do. Uh, and that helps me really slow down. Like, mm. It's almost like the Matrix and when they wake up and they're like, uh, so I, I, that's how that feels. Another one that I've heard uh, for meditation is don't just do something, sit there. So yeah. there's this saying, like, just don't, just don't sit there, do something. And when you're yeah, excited, yeah. just don't sit there, do something. And the meditation version of it is, just don't do something, sit there. Yeah. And things will fall into place themselves. In the sun. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that's powerful there. So, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. I learned a lot. And I believe people can also gain a lot of valuable insight into how to biohack and improve their life with time. Um, not a problem. It was fun. And I'm sorry I was in bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Biohacking in bed is the next podcast. Awesome. Next episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's it for this episode of the Body, Mind, and Power podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on the iTunes or the other social media platforms. Definitely check out the show notes for the topics that we discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode, stay empowered.